Awesome. Thanks, Pastor Dave. Um, as you guys are thinking about Miss Jamie, she's actually down in Padre doing a um, ministry outreach called Beach Reach, um, where her and a lot of other Baptist student ministries from around the state of Texas and around the country that actually go and they drive vans. Oh yeah, let's do that real quick. Um, where they go and they drive vans for students who are partying in South Padre on spring break, and they actually um, use that as an opportunity to witness and minister to those other college students. They have prayer rooms set up across the island where they are constantly in prayer, and there's usually a TV with live results coming through of names of, of college students who are considering a walk with Jesus. Um, who are actively um, engaged in conversation about um, Jesus, or who are just burdening the hearts of um, the believing students down in Padre. So if you think of Jamie this week, please be praying for her and the rest of the students. My alma mater, DBU, uh, contributes heavily to Beach Reach every year. I never had the opportunity to go, but a lot of my friends did, and it was a really wonderful ministry. Um, one of the things about Beach Reach that I think is really compelling is that all of these students who regularly go to Padre for their spring break, they associate the vans that drive around with the people of Jesus. They just do. They see the van and they know that it's a safe place. They know that they can go in there and some of them know that they can vomit on the floor and no one's going to get mad at them. Young ladies who are down there partying know they can get on these vans and be safe. They identify the van with Jesus. And that's a little bit what we're going to be talking about today. As we talk about nurturing a life of faith as we begin again, as we pursue renewal, I've been compelled by this Old Testament story in the book of Deuteronomy where the Lord, through Moses, is reminding his people of his covenant by saying, if you follow the commands that I have given you, the nations will rage against you as you enter into the promised land, will call you by my name. That the people of Israel, as they follow the commands of the Lord, will be so closely identified with his character and with his heart and with his desire to bring about a world of flourishing. That the nations around them will have no choice but to call them by his name. And so this morning, as believers, as Christians, as little Christs who identify with the name of Jesus, my hope is to give us a little bit of language to not only be called by the name of Jesus, but to call on the name of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can open our uh, Mission Hills app or the Bible app or Google Matthew 6 in the ESV, and you can follow along with me there. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. But truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You pray with me. Our Father in heaven, as we open your word this morning, as we gather in your name here in central Austin, would we just be compelled by a vision of what it means to call on your name in the name of Jesus. Father, would you be with us this morning? In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. In this short little treatise of prayer, Jesus is teaching his disciples in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus is revealing here, what we were able to identify as I studied this week, is two ways that we're commanded not to pray, and two ways that we're commanded to pray. 
Two ways that Jesus identifies, hey, maybe we shouldn't be pursuing these things, and then he gives us a way to solve that problem. Right off the bat, Jesus says this, when you pray, you must not be like the who? The hypocrites. Why? For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. But truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And so first and foremost, Jesus is saying, when you're going to pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. Why? Because they, they throw up these phrases to the heavens in the hopes that others would see them. One of the things that always compels me about the Sermon on the Mount is that every time I go back and I reread it, I find things that I didn't find before. For the first 10 years of my walk with Jesus, I guess going on way more at this point in my life, and all these years that I've been following Jesus, I read this and I go, oh yeah, of course we don't want to be uh, praying in front of others. And in my head I'm just like, well, if they're praying, it's because they want to be heard by other people. But that's not the reality. The hypocrites, in their self-righteousness and their desire to... Um, display their righteousness before others, just want to be seen. And so they go to the synagogues, the place of teaching, they go to the street corners, and they just hope that others will see them. But we as followers of Jesus know that one of the goals of prayer is that we're to align our hearts with the heart of God. That we're to align our will and our desire and our emotion and all the things that we pursue in life with that of God. The hypocrites have stepped away from that, right? These Jewish um, traditional followers of Yahweh God, they've turned away from aligning their hearts because they would rather have their righteousness on display for others to see. Jesus is saying that if we want to deepen our practice of prayer, then we need to find rhythms in order to do that well. And that's why Jesus says, when you do pray in verse 6, go to your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Go to your room and pray. I don't know about you guys, but I live in a, a relatively small, less than 800 square foot apartment. Um, there's not a whole lot of places to hide. There's not a lot of places to go and be in secret. We actually had that conversation, Jordan and I, this morning when we were both trying to get ready and I was trying to finish up some sermon prep. She came out of the bedroom at one point, looked me dead in the eye from across the room and said, we need a second bedroom. <laughs> you just need a place, BJ, where you can just go and do this where me and Bartlett are not interrupting you all morning long, all right? Um, not all of us run into that issue, okay? I know some of us have more than one closet that we can go hide in. Um, we would if we didn't have a Monica closet, all right? Guilty as charged. Uh, but what Jesus is saying here is that we need to find a place for privacy, in our prayers. In the ancient Near East, it was a very communal society, right? There wasn't uh, air conditioning running through their homes, right? They were a very outdoor society where they could catch the breeze, where they could be with their people, with their family, with their community. So it was easy to go into the house and find a place of solitude, of privacy, to pray to the Lord, all right? But in our 21st century context where we constantly have bings and dings from our cell phones, where we're constantly available to other people, it can be harder to go and pray to our Father who is in secret. And so what I think Jesus is getting at here is, yes, he's saying we do need to go have a physical place of privacy that we can pray, whether that is an empty Monica closet, whether that is the shower after work, whether that's the laundry room, because heaven knows nobody knows what that room in our house is, all right? 
But I think what Jesus is saying, beyond that physical space where we can go and be alone with the Father, we need to be able to pursue a quiet, private place in our hearts where we can pursue the Father. When we have that quiet, private place in our heart, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. It doesn't matter how many times the cell phone it bings or dings. It doesn't matter how many kids run through the room. Right? It doesn't matter what the office needs at that particular moment. If we can pray in the deep part of our heart, if we can find that place deep within our souls to pray to the Father, it doesn't matter what our physical space looks like. Now, that's not to say we don't need the physical space. All right, I don't know about you guys, um, but there was a point in my life when I was an athlete, um, when I would lift a lot of weights, when I would run a lot of miles, and then I went to college and I ate a lot of food, and I said, I don't need that anymore. Um, but there was this physical training that had to happen for me to be able to do what I did in high school. I had to run the drills so that I could hit the people on the other side of the line. I had to know what the running back was doing so that I didn't get in his way. And the same is true about our spiritual life. We have to have a physical reality that sometimes precedes the spiritual reality that we hope to follow. Let me say that again in another way. We have to have a physical practice, or what ancient followers of Jesus would call a physical discipline, in order that the reality that we want to be true for our hearts to come about in our lives. And that's why Jesus is saying, go and hide in the monica closet. Go and hide in the laundry room. Go take a shower after work and pray to your Father in secret. Because if we can find and identify that physical, private space where there's no chance of displaying our righteousness for others, our heart has no one to turn to but the Father himself. If we can develop a physical place for our spirituality to develop, eventually, like I said before, we will not need a physical space anymore because our heart will have caught up with our desires. We're caught up with the discipline and the practice that we have been teaching for ourselves. Now, I could talk about spiritual disciplines for a long time. I spent the last two years of my university experience learning about spiritual disciplines. But if we want to beat the Presbyterians to lunch, we just have to move on. All right. So, all right. The second, the second incorrect posture and attitude that Jesus identifies for us is in verse seven. Go ahead and read along with me. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now the Gentiles here that Jesus is talking about is the Greeks, and the Greeks had a pantheon of gods. Any Percy Jackson fans in the house? Trevin, I feel so betrayed. It's fine. All right. All right. But for those of you who don't know, Percy Jackson's a physical or a, a fictional book about the world of Greek gods. It's okay. I'd recommend you read it, but it's okay if you haven't. All right, this pantheon of gods in the Greeks view had a tendency to basically ignore their existence. And so what the Greeks, what the Gentiles would have to do is they would have to go and convince their gods to hear them. They would spend hours calling out to their gods, making promise after promise. They would have all of these empty phrases that would invoke the attention of their god. And what Jesus is getting after here is to his, what he's telling his followers, and by extension us, is that the Father, our good and holy Father, doesn't have to be convinced to listen to us. We don't have to be like the Greeks and the Gentiles. We don't have to throw up hollow, empty phrases, hoping that our God gets, or that we can get our God's attention. 
He is always ready and always willing to hear us if we simply call on his name. And that's why Jesus in verse 8 says, Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Not only should we not be praying hollow, empty prayers to God, but we don't have to because of our loving and good God. But I don't know about you guys, but this is a part of my own spiritual formation where I tend to fall pretty flat. And by flat, I mean boring. And by boring, I mean my prayers tend to sound the same pretty much every time I say them. Sometimes when I pray in public or even in private, I have a couple of phrases that I just kind of begin or end my prayers with. And sometimes I'll be praying, and it even happened this morning, I was getting ready to come up here and preach about prayer, all right? I was praying for a gathering this morning, and I'm sitting on our couch, and I just find myself going, what am I even saying? Like, where are these phrases even coming from? Like, I was not actively praying anymore, and it was just rote phrases pouring through the quiet of my mind as I prepared for our gathering this morning. So if your prayer life is anything like mine, you can tend to be, it can be a little flat. It can feel ritualistic rather than flourishing. And so I just have one piece of advice for those of us who are like me. We need to open up the Psalms. We got to do it this last week in our Lenten guide, like Pastor Dave said, but we need to open up the Psalms. The Psalmists were constantly praying or singing their way through pain and struggle, and instability, and strife, and grief. And what we can do in our own prayer lives to avoid being like the Gentiles is to use and to borrow the language of these ancient prayer writers and just follow along. It's actually a, a resource linked in our notes guide today that you can go and check out. It's a little 70-page book. It's not nearly that big. It's more like that big. All right, a little 70-page book called Praying in the Bible that has some tips and tools and things about how we can dive into the Psalms and learn how to pray them as if they are our own prayers, to borrow again that language from the Psalms and make it our own. Quick side note about not praying like the Gentiles. Um, we as members of the Western, primarily Anglo church, have often lost our capacity to lean into God in pain and struggle and strife and instability and loss. As generally members of the uh, middle class, we've taught ourselves, whether purposefully or not, that we can throw money at our issues to solve them rather than leaning into the God who already has the solution for us. And when we have that posture of prayer, of going to the private place, of letting our hearts be guided through a discipline of prayer, it leads us to an immediacy of prayer. When our hearts are always in a posture of prayer, we don't have to be like the Gentiles. Not being like the hypocrites immediately makes us not like the Gentiles. We can do what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians where he says, pray without ceasing, or some translations say, pray constantly. If our heart posture is one that is of prayer, we can immediately go to prayer. We can immediately turn to the Lord. We don't have to turn to money or class or other solutions that we can bring about ourselves. But we can leave those things with the Lord. Like David said, our Burmese friends who lost a father, though not in their physical community, but in their um, familial community back in Myanmar. 
Right? They came together and they prayed and they leaned into the Lord because if we're being honest, they don't have much else. But again, we who tend to lean into things that are not the Lord tend to not lean into postures of prayer. Our version of hollow, empty phrases in our prayers is, hey God, thanks for providing this job so that I can go fix my own problems. Or, hey God, thanks for insert blank so that I can go fix my own problems. A posture of prayer helps us to recognize that is the Father who is the provider of all things. And that's why in his model prayer, Jesus uses some of this language. And we're not going to have time this morning to dive into how the Lord is the provider of all things and how we're supposed to bring his kingdom, but we can get through verse 9, which reads like this. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Much like the Psalms, Jesus is giving us language that we can use when we're not quite sure how to pray. He's giving us physical discipline. He's giving us language that we can speak that our heart can begin to follow as we learn to pray. Because we're followers of Jesus, of those in relationship with Jesus. Prayer for us is a moment to recognize and to engage in relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus calls the Father's name hallowed or holy because he wants to emphasize the goodness and the total otherness of our God from earthly fathers or from any other provider that we have. If you have your Bibles, just go ahead and flip one page for me over to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read verse 9 and 10 for us real quick. Again, Jesus still on the Sermon on the Mount talking to families. He says, For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. Obviously, the answer to both these questions are no, if you're a decent parent. If not, we can have a conversation later, okay? <laughs> if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven, in that holy other place, give good things to those who ask him? When we pray, when we choose not to be like the hypocrites when we go to that private place of our heart, when we choose to not be like the Gentiles and we call out to the one true God, our Father, we are doing that to a God who is ready and willing to hear us and who desires, whose longing of his heart is to respond to our prayers and to provide all that we need because he I know that the reality for everyone in the room is that calling God Father might not be easy. I had a roommate, my freshman, nope, not that year. I had a roommate when I was in college who I adore. He would often wake up in the middle of the night screaming. And I don't just mean like, ah, and then like waking himself up. I mean, a heated, brutal, violent argument. So much so, so loudly, that one night, he woke up, he's still asleep, hit the crossbeam of my bunk bed, steel crossbeam. Still didn't wake him up because he was in such a pitted screaming match. 
with the abusive, neglectful, absent father who abandoned him 10 years before that. It took him a long, long time to where he could go to the father and recognize that he was good and that he could even begin to pray our father. Because the name father had been so destroyed for him through pain and abuse and neglect. He was one of a couple guys that I met over the course of my time at DBU who were in similar places. Some of them, they still can't because of the abuse and the pain and just the struggle that came with trying to call God Father. And so I don't know where we're at, everyone in this room, in our relationship with the Heavenly Father, but I want you to know that if that's where you are at, you are not in the wrong for struggling in that way. That what Jesus is giving us is a model prayer. It's language to follow along with as it suits our family, and our place in life and our current struggles. And that's one of the reasons why in the back of your Lent guide, there's a list of different names for God. Now, David and Damaris and I, we didn't dive back into the Hebrew, like there's not a whole bunch of Jehovah Jireh's and Yahweh's and Elohim's. All right, it's these English words and the verses where they can be found, where you can plug those names in for our Father instead, our comforter, our provider, all right, these are all things that we can plug in for God as we come to him in prayer. Our God wants us to call on him. He doesn't care what we call him so long as we are calling on him. Because the hypocrites don't do that. They call on God's name in vanity so that they can be seen by others. And the Gentiles just throw up phrases so they can get their needs fulfilled and move on with life. But we as followers in the way of Jesus have the unique opportunity to call our God by his personal name and have our hearts renewed and restored into his image day by day. And so, what can we do in light of these truths? Right, if you're like me and you're a pragmatist, you're just like, okay, BJ, like, that's great. I can find a room. I can, I can hope that God renews my heart. Like, that's all good for it. But like, what are the metrics? What are the deliverables? What can I do today in light of what Jesus is trying to teach us? Well, there's two things. And the first is that we actually have to do it. Like, actually pray. Like, actually find the Monica closet or the shower or the laundry room. Okay, husbands, maybe don't go to the laundry room. All right, I'm not trying to have some stereotypes. Your wife might be trying to hide from you there, okay? All right, but find that place, buckle down. Find a time to pause and to pray. Find that place where you can consistently go that your heart might be led in the way of Jesus. And second, and most importantly, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. That for us to be able to do this well, we have to first turn and call on the one who is praying on our behalf. Hebrews 7, I'm gonna start in 23. The former priests were many in number. The writers of Hebrew harkens back to a lot of what was happening um, in the Israelites' um, history up through their captivity and into the early years of the um, first century. It says these priests were many because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, talking about Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, 
He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Because he always lives to make intercession for them. Friends, if you don't hear another word that is spoken today, hear this, that Jesus stands alive at the right hand of the Father, giving prayers on our behalf as we walk in relationship with him. Because of his intercession for us, we have a chance to live like him. That down the road, after our physical bodies perish, we have a chance to rise again in resurrection, to be saved from our pain and the sin and the ultimate death that that sin bears on our lives if we only call on his name. You see, the best gift that was ever given was not bread when it was asked for. It wasn't fish when it was asked for. It sure, certainly wasn't rocks or serpents. But the best gift that was ever given by the Father to his children was Christ crucified. We have a chance this morning to join in resurrection with him. So in light of his sacrifice, uh, we're going to be taking communion this morning. Uh, Betsy is going to sing over us here in just a moment. We're going to have a couple of friends in the back of the room who are going to have the bread and the cup. And we didn't do prayers to the people this morning uh, because we want to take that opportunity to pray for one another. Hal and Gail and Damaris are going to be back there, and they would love to take this chance to pray for you. Whatever is going on, whatever hurt, whatever pain, whatever strife is going on, it's okay to go back and ask for that to be prayed for as you take the elements. And we're just going to have one air quote table this morning for communion, so if you want to go down the middle aisle and come back around the edges, that would just save us a lot of accidents on the way, all right? Um, but as Betsy sings over us, we're going to have one verse, and then she's going to dismiss us to the table. But as she's singing over you, take this as a time to pray. Start now. Seek out the private place of your heart where you can pursue the Lord in prayer. Ask him if you can begin again this morning. And so as you prepare for communion, don't come to the table harboring bitterness or sin in your heart, but rather righteousness and reverence for the one who is interceding on our behalf. And if you've never called on the name of Jesus, I will likewise be in the back if you have any questions and want to talk about who he is. And so let's pray as we enter into a time of reflection response to our Father. Our Father in heaven, who gave his only Son, that we might not perish but have everlasting life, be with us now. Renew our hearts as we learn how to pray. Not like the hypocrites who want to be seen by others, not by the Gentiles who have to convince their gods to listen. Father, would you teach us to pray as a people who can always call on your name, who can always pursue you in that secret room of our heart, who are always able to call to you at all times. Father, would you be a father who responds, who gives bread, who gives fish. We ask it all in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.